Hey, this is Pastor Allen. I'm the lead pastor here at First Baptist Church of Naples, and we are so happy that you have chosen to join us as we go through God's Word together. God's doing some amazing things here, and we pray that God's Word will transform you from the inside out. Our mission here is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ of all peoples. And our hope is, is that you are being a disciple that makes disciples. Now, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to join us either in person or continuing online as we go into God's Word together every week. But if you are a member of another church, we don't want this to be in any way, shape, form, or fashion a substitute for you being connected to your local body. So our prayer is, is that God uses His Word to change you and to change others. So we pray that God will use you and this message for His glory. Have a great day. Well, as you saw the little uh, pro promo video from last year's camp, we're excited about camp that's, showing, that's coming up here in a few weeks. And if you haven't signed up your kid or your grandkid or somebody, a neighbor's kid, then you need to get them signed up. And so if you want to do that, you can go out to the commons and sign up for that in the missions kiosk area. Or if you want to even volunteer to go, I'm sure that we could uh, use a few more people. Or if you just want to volunteer at all in our kids and, and, and uh, student and preschool ministries, I'm sure that they would love to help help you get signed up for that. God is blessing us with so many awesome young people, and we want to, as a part of our vision, to reach that next generation. And so I think that camp is one of the greatest ways to do that. Well, hey, if this is your first time worshiping with us, we're so honored to have you. In the chair back in front of you is this little connection card. If you would just take some time, either scan the QR code or fill out whatever information you want to share, put it in our connection boxes or go out to the Next Steps area, and they'll give you a wonderful gift with some wonderful things inside, and that'll help you uh, in your journey and help us be a blessing to you. And thank you so much for that. And also we're so excited for Jenny and her baptism this morning. Amen, church family. So excited for her. And if you need to take that next step, it's not too late. We would love to help you with that. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll jump into God's word. Father in heaven, thank you for the day. Thank you that we can celebrate uh, just all that you're doing in the life of our church. Thank you, Father, for the decision that happened this Friday through the Supreme Court. Thank you, Father, that Roe versus Wade was overturned. And thank you, Father, for the ministry that we have. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for the ministry that we have as a church to stand for life, not only from womb, but also to the tomb. And God, now, as we have this new uh, way uh, in our country, we ask that you give us strength as a church to stand on the front lines for life. God, that we would stand out and stand up helping those at the Pregnancy Resource Center, uh, that we would stand up and, and say, yes, we will be a foster parent, or yes, we will be an adoptive parent, or yes, we will give respite care, or yes, we will help financially provide. And Father, we pray, God, that you would bless those in our church who are fostering and those who, are, who have gone through uh, adoption. And God, we pray, Lord, also for those who have had an abortion. God, that they would know that you love them and that we love them and that there is a grace that is greater than all of our sins. And God, we are just as sinful, and just as wicked. We need grace. And so, Father, would we be a church that shows love and compassion to those who are broken? And Father, we pray as we get into your word that you'd help us. In Jesus' name, amen. First Kings chapter 19, we're going to begin in verse number one. Let's stand as we read God's word. First Kings chapter 19 and beginning in verse number one. The Holy Spirit says today, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. 
Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and have killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke into pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind." And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when, the Lord, and when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel, forsaken your covenants, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. You may be seated. Here's the question. When do you fill up your gas tank? Some of you in the room, when it gets to a half a tank, you fill it up. If you follow Shaquille O'Neal's logic, if you've ever kind of heard about him, he believes that if you fill it at half a tank, it's cheaper. So some of you in the room, you think, well, that's better. If it gets, some of you, a quarter of a tank, people, gets down a quarter of a tank, you don't want to be like stranded on I-75 as you're trying to go up to Fort Myers or try to come home from Fort Myers, so you're gonna go ahead and make sure that you get it filled up at a quarter of a tank. But some of you in the room, you wait till it's on empty, right? Some of you in the room like that? There's actually studies that have been done on this and, and, and what you do and when you do it tell a lot about your personality and even your age. There was a study that found that the older you are, the more prone you are to fill up your gas tank sooner. Uh, and so uh, there was a study, this same study found that the majority of those 18 to 34, uh, those in the room that are 18, 34, maybe this is you, you fill up at less than a quarter of a tank. Those 35 to 54, whoo, that's me, um, fill up between a half a tank and a quarter of a tank. And those 55 and older, the majority of them fill up at a half a tank. And so I guess the older you are, the more, like you said, prone to fill up your gas tank sooner. But you're saying, Pastor, I don't fit in that. 32% of all people that were studied in that research found that they do not turn, they do not put gas in their tanks until the light comes on. So some of you in the room that way, right? The light comes on, you do it. The reason why people are this way is that 
for two reasons, money and time. Either you can't afford the gas and so you just pray, right? You remember the days where you could put like $2 in your tank? Yeah, that won't get you anywhere. They won't even get you gas, right? <laughs> Thank you, Mike. And the other reason is time. I don't have time to fill up. Any of you are like, man, I need to fill up. I just don't have time. But I want you to understand that studies have been done that recommend that you need to refuel before it gets all the way to empty for two reasons. Number one, if you wait until it's on empty, the junk in the bottom of your gas tank will get into your fuel line and even in your engine, and it will cause you to have less gas efficiency, mileage efficiency, so your miles per gallon will go down, and it can even cause engine issues. But the second reason why many studies have, have been done saying you need to refuel is this, is that if you run out of gas, your car won't run. <laughs> I'm afraid that many of us Wait until we are physically, emotionally, and spiritually on empty before we do anything about it. And so this series this summer has been on the Sabbath. And for some of you, these are new concepts. I don't know how many people I've had email me, write me, tell me, hey, Pastor, I've never in all my life ever heard anybody ever preach on this particular topic. And I will tell you that many pastors don't preach on this topic, but yet it's all throughout the Bible, which we have tried to prove and tried to show you over these past few weeks. And so what we are seeing in this series is that the purpose of the Sabbath, the purpose of rest is to refuel our souls and to reorient our hearts and our minds in and on Jesus. And so last week we saw that the Sabbath, uh, taking time each week is a weekly reminder that teaches us to resist our old identity and rest in our new identity. And so we saw early on that God wants us to find a rhythm of work and a rhythm of rest, both are holy, so that we will be able to fulfill his purposes and listen to his voice. And so some of you, you've listened to these messages and some of you are like, man, I wish so-and-so would hear this message. Some wives are saying, man, they're poking their husbands, say, you need to listen to this. Some husbands are looking at their wives, you need to listen to this. And you're thinking of everybody else that you need to listen to these messages. But yet yourself, you're like, you know, I don't have time to do this. Well, here's what I want you to hear this morning. I have found that if you don't take time to rest in the Sabbath, that God will make you rest. Some of you have personally experienced moments where God has made you rest by removing things in your life so that he can reorient your heart and your mind to be on him. Well, today we're looking at a guy named Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. And 1 Kings chapter 19, we're going to be introduced again to this prophet named Elijah. Uh, my son Andrew's middle name is Elijah. The name Elijah means the Lord is God. Elijah is amazing, is an amazing man of God who has a tremendous love for God and love for people and a desire for all people, especially the people of Israel, to know God. And if you've looked at his life at all, maybe you're familiar with the story, but one day uh, in, in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah on Mount Carmel uh, went toe-to-toe -to -toe against 850 false prophets of 
Baal. And this was a public duel to the death, and it was a showdown between which was the real God. Was it the God Baal, or was it the true God of Elijah? And so the prophets of Baal prayed and prayed and prayed, and nothing happened. Elijah prays, and fire falls down from heaven, and there was a smackdown of the false prophets on Mount Carmel, WWE style. So much so that the people that were all gathered there, the people of Israel, chant, the Lord is God, the Lord is God, the Lord is God, Elijah, Elijah. And so in this moment in chapter 18, it was Elijah's greatest moment. He, in this chapter 18, experiences the greatest high and victory of his life in ministry. But if chapter 18 is the dream for all those who are in ministry, where fire falls from heaven and people chant the name of God, if chapter 18 is the dream, then chapter 19 is the nightmare. Because after this great spiritual victory came a great spiritual low, a great spiritual defeat. And you know, that's often true in our lives. After great spiritual highs, there tends to be great spiritual lows, moments of failure, moments of failing to temptation or moments of temptation or moments of suffering. And yet what we're going to see in chapter 19 is that God used this low moment in Elijah's life to teach him about the idols of his heart. And so what we're going to see is this is that God ruthlessly allows our hearts to be exposed so that his relentless grace can restore us and reorient our hearts to see three things. That God is God, God is good, and God is all that we need. That's what the Sabbath is about. The Sabbath rest is to reorient our hearts to see that God is God, not me. God is good, even when I don't understand, and God is all that I need. So let's jump into that this morning. Number one, I want you to see the ruthless exposure of Elijah's heart. Verse one, Ahab told Jezebel, all that Elijah had done. Ahab was the sorriest king of Israel and uh, Jezebel was the nastiest woman in Israel. What a match made in hell. And so Ahab told Jezebel about the smackdown that happened on Mount Carmel. Elijah is expecting that there would be a national revival movement and national repentance. He was expecting to come into Jezreel like Billy Graham with a hero's welcome. He was expecting after this showdown up on Mount Carmel and the rain that came after Elijah prayed that the people of God would be singing, how great is our God serving a godly government that Elijah would be a part of leading. But instead of seeing national revival and seeing a revolution of the government, instead of that, he gets a nasty gram. He gets a death threat. Jezebel sends an instant message to Elijah saying, may the gods do so to me and more also if I do not kill you by this time tomorrow. Now, what do you think that Elijah's response would be? You, you, what would his response be to the wicked witch of Jezreel? I mean, this man, Elijah, his entire ministry has been in a ministry of power. He's experienced God move in his life. I mean, this is the guy that predicted a seven-year drought. This is a guy that God used to provide food and sustenance for a poor family out of nothing. This is a guy that raised a young child from the dead. 
This is a guy who just defeated 850 false prophets. And after that, he outran a chariot. You think you're fast. He outran a chariot and then went and prayed and ended a seven-year drought. Elijah has had a ministry of one thing to the other that, ex- that he experienced personally, personally the power of God in his life, that he knew that the Lord was God. And so you would think that Elijah would say to Jezebel, well, you know where to find me, woman. I'll be right here. You bring it. I don't know who you're bringing to this fight, but I know who I'm bringing to the fight. I ain't scared. But instead, what is his response? He gets this nasty gram, verse three. The Bible says he's afraid. The effect of a huge spiritual personal victory was fading fast. Suddenly, Elijah had forgotten every drop of theology that he'd ever taught. He forgot his name. He forgot all that God had done in his life. And he was expecting one thing, but got the exact opposite. And so he was afraid. And so the Bible says that he ran for his life. He took tail and he took off. And he went on a flight of discouragement. Now, the question, again, maybe you're having in your mind, is that why would Elijah respond this way? Some scholars will try to psychoanalyze Elijah, saying that he's bipolar, that he could stand on the mountain and bring down the fire of God, but yet in a moment of crisis, he melts like snow in the desert. Well, Elijah's issue wasn't that he was bipolar or manic depressant or that he was fearful or had some sort of emotional breakdown. I think that if you read this text, what you're going to see is that there was one thing that Elijah wanted. There's one thing that Elijah dreamed of for his entire life, and it didn't happen. He worked his entire life, his entire ministry was was worked in such a way that, that he had expected one thing, but got another thing, and it devastated him. Well, what was that thing that he was working for and expecting? Well, he tells us in verse number 10, he says, I've been very jealous for the Lord Uh, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets, and I'm the only one left. What you see is that there was one thing that Elijah yearned for in his life, and that is to see God glorified in Israel. He wanted to see Israel turn back to God. He wanted national repentance and mass conversion, but instead, all that he had done up to this moment seemed like nothing at all. The opposite happened. His dream was shattered. Everything that he worked so hard for didn't happen. And so in verse three, he came to Beersheba. He went on a 130 mile journey away from Jezreel, away from Jezebel. Here he goes to this southernmost city in the tribe of Judah and he leaves his servant there. Scholars say that the reason he leaves his servant there is because he no longer needs him because Elijah was done with ministry. He then walks a, a day's journey into the wilderness, a few miles and sits under a broom tree and there under that broom tree asks God to kill him. He says, it's enough. I'm tired of it? I'm done. He says that I'm no better than my father's. I'm just as unsuccessful as everyone who came before me. I thought, God, I was going to be different. I thought you were going to use me to make a difference in Israel, but nothing has happened. Still the same old, same old. Jezebel and Ahab are still in power. No one cares. It's over. I'm done. I'm out. Kill me. Have you ever had those moments? Why was he in this condition? Well, Elijah's worn out. We're going to see that here in a moment by the number of naps that he takes. He's tired. 
He's physically, emotionally, and spiritually exhausted. And when you are in that condition, when you are running on empty, you are vulnerable to fear and worry and depression, insecurity, and paranoia. And all of those feelings and, and, and struggles that he had was compounded by a heart that was jealous for God, that wanted good and godly things, but yet all those things were dashed against the rocks of a rebellious culture around him, and it led him to be discouraged and despondent. You know, for believers in our world, all of you in this room and those watching online, we look at all that's happening in the world around us. We are constantly barraged with 24-7 news and incessant alerts on our phones that constantly remind us of the rot of our culture. We as believers are standing for the good, the true, the right, and the beautiful, and yet the moral revolution in our society is growing greater every day. I mean, think about it. If you just have in your home the streaming service of Disney Plus, you can see that it went from the Mickey Mouse Club to now a television show on Disney Plus that promotes the LGBTQ lifestyle of tracking a young teenage boy and his journey in that lifestyle. And now we have, after the Supreme Court ruling on Friday, major companies and major corporations sending emails to all their employees, namely to women, saying that if you want to get an abortion, but you live in a state where it was not provided, we will pay you to go travel and have your abortion. And it's amazing how in the past year, corporations didn't know what a woman was, but now they know what women are. And we look at the absolute rejection of God in our society. There's a new Gallup poll that found that 81% of Americans believe in God or a God. You say, well, that's great, 81%. Well, here's what's not great. It's actually down 8% in the past five years. The economic crisis and the recession, the political nastiness, and then you look at your dysfunctional family. And then you look at the church. Now I'm talking about the big C church. And you see all the hypocrisy and the abuse and the racism and the fighting and the leaning towards liberalism. And then you look down at your own life and you serve the Lord and you've played by the rules and you've been good and you've worked really hard, but yet everything that you've worked for, all that you've dreamed of is not come how you thought, not, has not come how you thought it would be. Yes, we live in Naples, but your world is not what you thought it would be and it has come crashing down because this is not what you have planned and you're worn out and you're angry at God and like Elijah, you say, it's enough, I'm done. Stick a fork in me. Kill me, God. You know, I talked to a person last week. She said, I just, I, I feel like I'm the only one. I feel like I'm the only one in my family who loves God. I'm the only one that is trying to hold this family together. And I pray for my family and nothing is happening. Nothing. As a matter of fact, it's getting worse. And I don't know what to do. And I'm so tired. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's how you feel. That everything you've worked hard for, that you played by the rules, you've done the right things, and yet it's not happened, and you're discouraged, and you're disappointed, and you're despondent. Well, Ligon Duncan, who preached a tremendous message on this text, he said this. He said, study your disappointments because you'll discover what you really love and what you truly rest in. When the bottom falls out 
and the crushing darkness comes, you will find out what you love and it won't always be pretty. You will learn what you really believe in when the disappointments of life happen. Isn't that true? Study your disappointments. See, in this moment, under the broom tree, Elijah had forgotten his name, that the Lord is God. And the message that he wanted Israel to embrace, his, he wanted Israel to put down their idols, to reject those idols that they were clinging to and embrace the Lord alone. But yet in this moment, under the broom tree, Elijah himself had to do the same thing. Elijah had lost sight of who God was and Elijah was trying to find joy and satisfaction in something other than God. He was trying to find joy and satisfaction in good things, in national revival, in mass conversion. He was putting his hope in godly things and yet by doing so, he was worshiping the wrong thing. You know, in our desire to serve God, we may worship serving God more than worshiping God. We may worship our preferences of worship more than we worship God. We may worship our version and vision of what the church should be rather than God. We may worship national revival, the end of abortion and civil religion more than we worship God. And reality is this, is that when God does not give us what we have dreamed of and worked hard for, we get discouraged. And yet in our discouragement and in our disappointment, it is in that that God exposes and reveals the idols of our heart. See, when our hearts are looking for rest in anything other than God, God has a great way of showing us what we're truly resting in. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 39, 11, he says that when you rebuke a man, when you discipline a man for the rebukes of sin, you consume like a moth what he holds dear. Consume like a moth what he holds dear. For surely mankind is a mere breath. See, this is what's happening in Elijah's life under that broom tree. That God in that moment was ruthlessly exposing the depth of Elijah's idolatry. And yet, how does God respond? And that's the second point, and that's the relentless grace of God to restore Elijah's life. How does God deal with the discouraged, despondent prophet? Well, after Elijah asked God to kill him, uh, he lays down and takes a nap. Um, you're going to see him napping quite a bit in a few verses. As Elijah takes this nap, the Bible says that an angel, the angel of the Lord, a lot of people believe this is the pre-incarnate Christ, came and ministered to Elijah's physical needs. Elijah is, is, wake, is now awake. He takes the sleepy out of his eyes, looks, and behold, there are hot cakes in front of him. Angel food cake. God wants you to eat cake. Amen? Amen. Amen. With water, which in the Old Testament was Diet Coke. <laughs> There's nothing like eating a big old piece of cake and washing it down with a Coke Zero. Amen. Zero sugar in that drink. Yeah. The food was so good, it put him in a food coma. He goes back to sleep. God wakes him up and says, hey, arise. Here's some more cake. Eat, for the journey is too great for you. 
So God's gonna send Elijah on a journey to Mount Sinai, to Mount Horeb, which is normally an 11-day journey by foot, but Elijah took his time, he took 40 days. But what you note here is that God met Elijah's physical needs. God cares about your physical needs. You are a holistic person. God met his physical needs to prepare him for his spiritual solution. That God had a physical need of Elijah being met to prepare him to receive a spiritual solution for his life. And so what that tells us is this, is that sometimes what you need is not another book to read, not another great sermon to hear. It's not even spending an hour in prayer. Sometimes the godliest thing you can do is to eat a great meal and take a nap. Amen. 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 And so Elijah takes his 40-day journey. So much could be said about that. He gets here to Mount Sinai. He checks in at the Marriott there into the cave lodge. He unpacks all of his stuff. And there in his little cave, God speaks to him. And God asks him this question, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, when God asks this question and when God asks any question in the Bible, it's not for information. God knows why Elijah's here. But what God is doing here is he's allowing Elijah the opportunity to express his feelings. And so Elijah expresses his heart. In verse 10, he says, I've been very jealous for you, God. Israel has defiled your covenant. They've rejected your prophets. They've killed your prophets. I'm the only one left. And so Elijah in this moment puts his discouragement into words. And so that's good. The Psalms are filled with people venting to God. I highly recommend to people going through difficult seasons to journal and to speak and to share what's going on. Being godly doesn't mean that you repress your emotions and pretend like there's nothing there. Now, that doesn't mean that your emotions are legitimate, but it means that when you express your emotions by expressing them, you verbalize them so that God can correct them if they need correcting through his word and through his Holy Spirit. I had a lady come to me today and she was very upset about something and, and she's come to me a few times and she shared what she was upset about and I prayed with her. And today she came to me, she says, Pastor, I was really upset about something and we prayed about it and through this, I realized that I was wrong. God can do that. And so here, Elijah is expressing his heart and then God responds. And how God responds is, is kind of interesting. In verses 11 through 13, we see here that Elijah is staying in his room and he looks out the door of the cave and, and God says, okay, stand still and kind of see what I'm about to do. And so all of a sudden there's this great and mighty wind, like a whirlwind, an F5 tornado came right by the mouth of the cave, hit the mountain and rocks were falling down. But yet the Bible says God wasn't in the wind. And then there was an earthquake that shook the entire mountain. But the Bible says that God wasn't in the earthquake. And then a, a mighty fire from heaven fell down and consumed everything around the mountain. And Elijah felt the heat of that flame as it went by the door of the cave. And yet God was not in the fire. But then after all of those big things, there was a still low whisper. And God was speaking to Elijah. And so Elijah comes out from the mouth of the cave. Now, the interesting thing is that where Elijah was is the same place that God and Moses were. And God gave to Moses the Ten Commandments. And God made his covenant with the people of Israel. And the prelude to that moment is that on the mountain, Mount Sinai, 
there was fire, there was thunder, and there was earthquakes. And all of that represented the presence of God on that mountain. But yet this time, God was not in the fire, he was not in the wind, and he was not in the earthquake. God was not in the big and the spectacular. God was in the low and the small. Why is it with Moses, he came with thunder and fire and earthquakes, and yet with Elijah, he came only in a still small voice. Here's why. It's because God was teaching Elijah and all of us in this room that God doesn't always work in ways that we expect him to work. Just because he worked for one person this way doesn't mean he's going to work for us in this in the same way. And just because God doesn't do what we expect him to do doesn't mean God's doing nothing at all. See, Elijah was looking for shock and awe. Elijah was looking for the spectacular, but what God gave him was the still and the small. Now, how does that affect your life? You know, in our American Western culture, we don't like to rest. We think it's crazy. We don't have time to rest. We don't like this concept of Sabbath. We despise in our Neapolitan mindset the small and the unimpressive. We want the big, we want the expensive, we want the exciting, we want the fast pace, and we want the flashy. But here's what you find in scriptures, that God is often not in those things. What often God is in is the small things. Can God do big things? Yes, but often he does things in ways that are not in our categories. But just because God doesn't do it the way that we think he should do it doesn't mean he's not doing anything. See, if God always does what we think he should do, then who's God? You are. But if God does things the way God wants to do them, which are always the right ways, then he is God and we are not. The problem here is that after all of this, God speaks to Elijah and then he asks him the same question in verse 13. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? What's going on, Elijah? And guess what Elijah does? Same song, second verse, same thing, repeats it the same way. I'm very jealous for the Lord. Israel has rejected your covenant. They've thrown down your idol, your your altars. They are killing the prophets and I'm the only one left. And in that moment, just as he was under the broom tree, so he is in the cave. Even after all of this in the still small voice, Elijah felt like God let him down. But God did not let Elijah down. Elijah's limited view of God and how God works is what let Elijah down. It's not that God was letting Elijah down. It's Elijah's limited view of God that let him down. How many of you in your life have had something happen that you didn't understand and maybe you didn't like, and in the moment you thought it was horrible, but in time and you have a different perspective that even though what you thought was bad actually was God doing something good? Isn't it amazing that in time, we, in our very limited perspective, can see that there's a purpose behind the pain and the suffering. And, and, and if you think that in just a few moments or a few days or a few years, you can have that perspective that could there not be that in the ultimate perspective of God, God's got something greater than you and I will ever know this side of eternity. Elijah was only looking at what he could see. Elijah was expecting God to bring revival to his people. And what God is teaching Elijah is this, is that don't rest in revival, rest in me. 
Don't rest in these other things. Rest in me. And even when things happen that you can't understand and that you can't describe, here's what you have to believe in, that God is God and God is good. And he is all that I need. And when you and I fail to trust that God is God and God is good and God is all that we need, he puts us in situations that remind us that he is good, he is God, and he is all that we need. And that's what Sabbath is supposed to do. When we meet weekly, we remind ourselves that God is God and God is good and God is all that we need. And when we fail to remember that, God will slap us down so that we can see he's all that we need. See, God had to now correct the lie that was in Elijah's head. In verses 15 through 18, we don't have time to read it. God corrects Elijah's erroneous thoughts. Yes, Elijah, you are jealous for God. Yes, Elijah, the Israelites have rejected God. Yes, Elijah, they have killed the prophets. But no, Elijah, you're not the only one left. God then tells Elijah, there's a pagan king named Hazael of Syria. He will bring judgment to Ahab and Jezebel. You know, some of us are indignant of the injustices of our day. And we wonder, God, where are you? How is it the wicked are prospering and I am suffering? Here's what you have to understand. There's a payday someday. And God's justice is the final justice. And God here is going to use a pagan king to bring judgment to the house of Israel. And then he's going to rise up a new king, King Jehu, who will bring in a new government. And then he's going to rise up a new prophet named Elisha, who's going to take Elijah's spot. But here's what God says. Elijah, you think you're the only one left. You think that you're the only one who serves God. Well, you're mistaken. Because there's at least 7,000 people in Israel who are my people, and they have not bowed their knees to the false gods of the world. See, sadly, many of us in this room allow the lies of our flesh and the lies of Satan to get into our head. And those lies keep us from resting and trusting in God. Those lies that say, I got to keep working. I can't stop. The lies that say, if I don't stop working, I won't be able to provide for my family. If I don't do it, then it ain't going to happen. If it's going to be, it's up to me. Or those lies that say, it's all lost. My family will never change. It's never going to get better. No one cares about me. I'm all alone. Those are lies from the pit. And we must stop listening to those lies and listen to the voice of truth. And this voice of truth tells you this, that God is God, you are not. That God is good even when it doesn't make sense and God is all you need. And so that's what Elijah learned when God made him rest. And so after that, Elijah departed from there because you can't just stay on the mountain. You can't just stay in Shabbat until God brings you to his eternal Shabbat. You have to go to work. So Elijah rests and then he obeys the call of God in his life. He heard from God and he went back to work because God told him there's a bigger picture. There's a bigger picture. You may not understand that big picture now, but there's a bigger picture. And that's what God wants to share with you and I this morning. There's a bigger picture that we may not see until we get to heaven, but there's a bigger picture. 
And we don't hear from Elijah again till 2 Kings. And in 2 Kings chapter 2, the Bible speaks about Elijah and Elisha. And as they were talking, the Bible says that they went on and talked. And behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. So they're out talking and these chariots of fire come down and Elijah went up in a whirlwind into heaven. So you have the fiery chariots coming down. They swoop Elijah up. He goes into heaven and Elijah, Elisha saw it and cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. That's how I want to go. Some people say, I want to die in my sleep. I want to die in chariots of fire and a whirlwind. Amen? So I want to go. You think about, well, why is it that God would, this pouting prophet who wants God to kill him is a guy who God just takes him. Ligon Duncan, who again preached on this passage, he said this. He says, you don't think that God didn't know the deepest desires of Elijah's heart? You think that God doesn't care about your dashed hopes and broken dreams? God brings Elijah home by fire and whirlwind. The two things that he was not in on Mount Sinai are the two things that he was in that brought him and took him home. And in that moment, Elijah saw the glory of God. And in that moment, he saw that the one who took him was far more worthy than anything that he'd ever taken from Elijah. We don't hear from Elijah again until Luke chapter nine. We're on the mountain of transfiguration. Jesus was there and Moses and Elijah, God sends them down from heaven, the law and the prophets. And there they speak with Jesus face to face. And on that mountain of God, Elijah saw the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, under that broom tree, he only had a limited view of what God was doing. In his mind, the only way the world was going to be saved is he had to do it, and there needed to be national revival and a new king. He didn't understand that there would be a new king that would come. He wouldn't just be a new king that would die and stay dead but be a new king that would die and rise again. Elijah's view was only of Israel. God's view was the nations. And in that moment on the Mount of Transfiguration, God loved Elijah enough so that Elijah could see that all he ever wanted, all he ever dreamed of, all he ever hoped for, he saw in the face of Jesus Christ. And on that Mount of Transfiguration, he knew that God was God, God was good, and God was all that he needed. And when you leave here today, my prayer is you can say the same. That God is God. God is good. And God is all that I need. That's what the Sabbath rest is to be. And so I want to encourage you as we end to take time to rest. And as you gather every Sunday, it reminds you of that. That's why being in church matters. Being around other believers matters. It roots us and reminds us that God is God, God is good, and God is all that we need. And my prayer is that you can say that with all of your heart. But if you can't, then maybe today you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. He loves you, 
and he'll save you. Would you bow with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will help us to see that there's a bigger picture involved than just what we see here and now. That we may be sitting, sitting under our broom trees, ready to die, living on empty, running on empty. But God, you want to fill us with yourself and remind us that you have something greater for us. Father, help us to understand that you are God, you are good, and you are all that we need. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and let's sing. Thank you for joining us as we go through God's Word together. I pray again that God will transform you from the inside out. So as we say here at first, you have come to church. Go out and be the church. Have a great week of worship. We can't wait to see you soon.